design superpower is to evolve abstract into concrete. We build skills and understanding to translate these super abstract concepts into like concrete relatable outcomes. And this is actually a skill that is generally not talked about much because you always focus on the artifact, focus on the execution. But that translation really requires you to have an intellectual understanding of mm -hmm. like what you're translating and how you're translating. Yeah. So that's very challenging, uh, actually. And it, it is a skill that is appreciated only when you see it or when you experience it. Hey everyone, welcome to Design Drives, where we explore why, how and what design and designers are driving forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers and most innovative creators on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential and to make a positive impact in the world. In this episode, I had the pleasure to chat with Doan Shekagolu, who is a former design lead from IDEO and currently works on future robotic and medical designs at Intuitive in California. With Doan, I chat about the interplay between the abstract and the concrete and why this is actually not just a superpower of the designer uh, and how you can apply it, but also allows for incredible impact for both craft-related projects, or which are more about the execution, and then also more strategic or facilitation projects, which is more about solving a system problem. We also talk about his experiences working sustainability design projects and how changing the question from solving, which you know is very often the goal and most commonly the goal, to reducing waste and emissions can actually open up a whole new perspective and new opportunities to innovation that might be just an iteration but also a step forward because moving is better than not moving so i hope you enjoy the episode all right i'm here with duan checker giolo thank you so much for taking time hey hey sebastian it's a pleasure to join and you did a great job pronouncing my surname yeah i haven't <laughs> i have a note here i really tried my best yeah um, it's not the easiest for me but um yeah i think i'm really looking forward to chat with you about um well we both uh, from you that's i think how we um, got to know each other and uh, of course you have a background in advanced design and industrial design and um you know you got a lot of experience you know working in the consulting world with ideo and uh, a lot about learnings around like how to design for complex systems and products actually now you work in the healthcare space which is i think also super interesting or healthcare device design space so super curious about chatting with you about that if you can give a bit of context about yourself how it all mm -hmm. started out for you living in the u.s now but you're actually not from the u.s originally actually from turkey and i think have also quite an interesting journey that you are running through to to come to where you are today all right uh first of all thanks for having me um I have been watching the episodes and it's a pleasure to be part of it. I'll start like it's kind of a convoluted, a little bit of complex journey in the way I built my design career. I actually uh, come from like a, a craft background. Uh, my dad was a model builder. It was the family business. So I started building uh, baza wood models and plastic model kits and some in some cases my own from seven. Um, so craft has always been like part of my personality, but uh, I never thought that I can actually pursue this as a, an education. 
and being the brother of a scientist, uh, I have been also like pushed to have a science education, but I ended up actually getting into urban planning uh, in Istanbul. So I started my uh, undergrad education uh, in urban planning and I did that for two years. And it was actually quite a good experience. Like when I look back, um, that actually gave me a lot of my skills that I use today when it comes to systems design and understanding and appreciating complexity. I studied, you know, social anthropology, urban history. We started with basic design, but more like uh, in the urban urban planning context. And in that school, I realized there's a discipline called industrial design. I Because I started to actually have friends from that department and I realized we click because also of my background and craft. So back then this was quite rare, but I convinced my dad and my mom that this is what I want to do. So I, you know, went through the whole examinations and portfolio and all that shebang and started studying industrial design. So it was very interesting back then because I was actually doing quite well in urban planning and my professors wanted to understand why I want to do the switch. And then what I said was like, I really want to be able to be hands-on with the problem that I'm solving because the urban scale was so huge. And most of the time, it was harder to read the implications of the changes you propose. And they understood it and they were actually like very encouraging. And I started doing industrial design training. And again, like that's like a kind of a weird shift because when I started, uh, my heart was at like production design uh, concept design. And that was my intent when I started my industrial design training. That's where I wanted to evolve. But about like on my third year in school, I got accepted to an internship in Jakob Jensen design in Denmark. So that was like a very actually like enlightening experience because I start to see how design can be applied in different contexts. This is early 2000s. So uh, design industry was a little less mature back then in Turkey. So it was very hard for me to see what I can do, but that Jakob Jensen experience kind of opened a new uh, understanding for me. So I, I realized this is design can be beyond craft. Uh, we like, you know, beyond like just making cool looking stuff, uh, especially when, it, when you think about the that concept design world and, and production design world. Mm -hmm. And then I, I just basically got the bug and like six months later, I applied to an Erasmus exchange in Norway. Mm -hmm. um, and in Norway, I studied strategic design uh, for another six months. So these all, all of these experiences added years to my <laughs> bachelor's uh, education. And yeah, um, on my last year, I started also professional working. So I did theater stage design, glassware, packaging, I did like a exhibition design uh, for uh, art events. And I also started to understand manufacturing constraints or like the storytelling. But yeah, um, about 2010, it's like I realized this is great, but I really want to build my understanding of design's place in the world. So I applied to Umeo. I got accepted in 2010. It was, you know, like I, I think the biggest value for Omer for me was to be exposed to these people all over the world, basically uh, in, in a small and confined space, like exploring design work. And yeah, um, 
that kind of led to my internships at IDEO in Cambridge, um, design it in Aarhus and Atlas Copco in Erebro. Um, and then essentially I finished my school and uh, after a year's stint in Atlas Copco, I started working at IDEO in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so think- it was like a very complicated... <laughs> No, I, I think the the beauty of that is really, you know, what you were mentioning about the different experiences you made from urban design, which um, actually also I've been looking into when I was starting to, you know, pursue, um, you know, some kind of education when I was a teenager. I think urban design also was something that I was looking into because, of course, you can shape so much of you know, people's experience because it's, it's very lasting as well, because it's, you do it and it's, it's going to be, it's people, you know, walk through the urban space, like, you know, the experience for many, many years. But yeah, I'm, I'm also seeing what you said about it's, it's very disconnected to the actual work w- w- with an artifact. So, um, that's a thing, super interesting, um, that you pointed out. And I think really the, the nice part is that, you know, you have been exposed to all of these different areas of design, which I think make you also a more complete designer by, you know, having all of these different, you know, perspectives, you know, I think, um, you know, very often I think, you know, designers are so much connected to the artifact that we create. So if you design two fridges, you're the fridge designer, right? Uh, like even though you can do so much more and you have maybe so much more interest about like so many more things, but like, because our work is so visual and, um, Mm -hmm. it's easy to put us into a box. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that is, you know, you get just, you just become a more complete designer by, 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 you know, making these different experiences and kind of learning from, um, these different projects. I was recently talking to someone, you know, who is really jumping between like footwear design and, and automotive design and, and, and digital CGI design. And I think the great benefit of that is that, you know, you bring these learnings to these different projects. I know, and as designers, it's, it's very difficult for us to understand, like, where's our inspiration actually coming from? Like, because mm-hmm. we come up with ideas, but maybe this idea was like an experience we maybe made two years ago. It's like almost impossible to track back, like, where, like, what was the root cause for like an inspirational idea that, you know, someone mm-hmm. comes up to, but likelihood is high that it's coming from some kind of experience or some kind of input or some kind of stimulus, right? I think that's, that's just so nice to hear about, like, you know, you said like the journey took, uh, took long, but it's I think at the same time, like it, it, it just exposed you to so much, right? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah, it's I mean, really just to add one more thing. It's like, it's very different to, I think the trend you see in design education these days, where it's about like three months and, you know, becoming like a designer, like things take time, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. I mean, the like I try to see design as, especially in an organization, Design superpower is to evolve abstract into concrete. We build skills and understanding to translate these super abstract concepts into like concrete, relatable outcomes. And this is actually a skill that is generally not talked about much because you always focus on the artifact, focus on the execution. But that translation really requires you to have an intellectual understanding of mm-hmm. like what you're translating and how you're translating. Yeah. So that's very challenging, uh, actually. And it, it is a skill that 
is appreciated only when you see it or when you experience it. And now we are working with these like really abstract like and complex systems. Um, design's role becomes even more important to be that uh, like connecting tissue in between the abstract and the concrete. And that comes naturally also be is informed by your life experiences, whether it is professional or academic or like just, you know, just exposing yourself to art or like other things. So having a consulting background for me has been really valuable because sometimes I solve a problem that I actually had to solve for a like a fast food packaging project in a, in a medical context. It sounds weird, but it's actually can be really relatable because in the packaging, you generally get exposed to like economies of scale. So when you actually just, if you take that concept and then start applying it to other problems in other industries, suddenly you have like this library of ideas that you can pull out from and work with. I mean, of course, it's hindsight, right? When I was, when I finished my education, uh, my undergrad education, I was like, oh, I wasted those two years in urban planning. And over the years, uh, like the more I have been involved in like uh, more systemic work, like a high level work, the more I learned to appreciate and understand like what I actually gained from that training. And also like this goes on to other experiences that I, I lived, but like that, like the urban planning was the key one that I was like, why did I do this? But actually it has been really valuable uh, because it gave me the skill to basically step back from the, the artifact or the, the, the problem and see it in a system or a subsystem and start thinking about these relationships. It also, over time, it define how I see industrial design. It's so interesting. I mean, like what you were pointing out about the relationship between urban design and then more physical industrial design that, you know, the systematic approach that sort of like that links back to maybe an urban design project also, right? It's, it's a system design, right? Just yeah. the, the nature of the scale. Yeah. I think sort of that craft aspect, I mean, that's sort of like one experience you obviously made. And then I think there you also pointing out the other sort of dimension is basically, you know, the craft and the strategic, right. Or the facilitation that you have been pointing out to in, in terms of like solving these complex problems where you're a designer, you are, you're not even the person maybe executing um, everything um, in the process, but you sort of like facilitate that uh, a process, right? Where you know experts come together to solve a systematic issue, and yeah, um, and, uh, yeah and I think there also the, the aspect comes into play what what you say about the superpower of design is bringing things from abstract to concrete, and I think that's exactly where I think everything kind of connects. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like a you know the the. The craft part of it, is, and I'm using craft in the most general sense here. Yeah, yeah. But like it, it's it is it is a way to translate that abstract to concrete, and then you like, mm -hmm. and then the and the scale is how you execute it, like how you actually like think about that craft aspect and think about how that would translate a certain experience, and then you start to kind of think about the scale as the context. Um, so when they to come together, uh, then you start to think about, okay, like what is the ideal way of bringing this to life? It can be like, you know, 
making a physical mock-up. It can be like animating. It can be like mm-hmm. writing. Uh, so suddenly you start to think broadly about that activity of translation and you start to think about different skill set. So you will, so this way you don't need to be that person doing it, but you're aware of like how to translate and how to make that connection. And then you start to pull resources in to make that translation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's so interesting what you pointed out. Well, you, when you were finishing your education, you basically, you didn't recognize the power yet, maybe about like that you were maybe gaining from having these very different experiences and, and how it made you a more complete designer. But I'm wondering then, you know, as you were going into, um, sort of like pursuing your, your, your role as a designer after your graduation, it was a certain, like a particular project where it was striking to you or, it, you know, you were realizing how, um, on the one side, basically it allows you to bring together multiple things um, um, on, on the other side also kind of showed you the positive impact that, you know, in an education setup, you can obviously, but you can just do it to a limited degree because you're not working closely with industry, but like in your later on after graduation, you obviously, you know, with idea also, you worked a little closer with industry about the positive effect that you can have through the role of the designer, right? And the positive effect can be many things, you know, that can be environmental, that can be social, mm-hmm. that can be brand, it can be business, but mm-hmm. uh, a certain impact was a certain, you know, project that made you kind of realizing that. Mm-hmm. The positive impact can be broken down into like different aspects. Like, you know, like you can have positive uh, impact, like really measurable, you know, like, X amount of money or X amount of saving, you can have positive impact when it comes to like how you influence an organization. Um, and this is like not always measurable, but you can mm-hmm. see from the way the company's engagement with design changes. And it can just be, you know, cultural. You work with an organization and they are more willing to engage with their user. So I, I experienced these in, the, in, in these different levels at IDEO, which was very valuable for me so one of them was like the measurable one and it is it is not always like the one that that is perceived as positive Uh, but i work with a fast food company on a sustainable packaging project so uh, this was a very interesting challenge because when we work with the company and when we got the brief very quickly we realized the sustainability was this umbrella term uh, and it was not very well understood by our client because sustainability, it it requires you to put your hand under the rock and like, you know, take that challenge, whether it is an additional cost or additional like work Mm -hmm. or changing the organization Mm -hmm. or even, you know, impacting the supply chain and whatnot. It's not cheap in the beginning. So we quickly realized that that word was kind of uh, hollow. So we, we start to think like, okay, there are a lot of constraints here. Uh, and how can we actually have a positive impact within the constraints, particularly the cost constraints of our client? So how can we think sustainability in a different way? So we start to think about, um, and I'm talking about like 40 plus SKUs of packaging. Uh, it's not just like, a box or a wrap or anything. So the project was actually involved in, with the, all the scoops. So uh, we start to look into how these packaging items 
relate to each other. And so we start to actually design it as a system and then have a more of a cumulative impact from that whole system. Because we realize in the organization, these packages were designed over time, independent from each other. So they didn't actually act as the system. So that actually led to a, basically a packaging system that had that potentially not potentially now it is it is like they're slowly releasing it after mm-hmm. like i don't know eight years uh and like they're slowly like oh. releasing these SKUs. Uh, and the outcome of this work not only would increase their speed of uh selling their products, but also take hundreds of hundreds of tons of plastic out of the system and also introduce the types of materials that are easier to recycle. Obviously, we want to live in a world that these kind of issues are minimized and like we don't have this waste. Of of course, like that's the ultimate goal. But hopefully that will happen maybe in the next 10, 15, 20 years. But in the meantime, I felt like working with them and then actually creating this impact was still valuable. And that required not only like designing the individual, like the packaging item, but also thinking how these individual items relate to each other and then have a cumulative impact at this whole system. So this was like a kind of a, measurable version uh, because you could actually put this into their mathematical model and then it will give you like how many tons of plastic how many uh, like and how much time they can save and etc and then the other one um, the next one is another project and i'm just kind of again jumping in scale here Um, i work on a project looking for like the global opportunities in underground water management. So uh, I, uh, the project that I've been involved in was with a global conglomerate. So they were basically looking for the higher level uh, trends and how the water management can evolve to address the issues of global warming, but also like um, the way you manage water in the cities and like how, how it might evolve in the near future. So in this case, our impact was more around how you can utilize design thinking and like user-centered methodologies to still generate solutions that are at this like almost like a country or like city scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least, at least start to have a conversation uh, with the sea level. Uh, folks. Um, so it was a very interesting project because I was the only like quote unquote hardware product person. Um, and I had to learn water management history. Um, and I had to learn the language because we were, we went to like Argentina, Colombia, talk to the municipality uh, workers, talk to like the sewage treatment plants managers so I had to kind of develop the language uh, to be able to discuss their problems and how they see this is evolving and like what are the challenges in the management. So one interesting challenge here was that this conglomerate was present both in South America, but also in Europe through subsidiaries. And the European side believed that 
understanding the problems in South America will not really is not relevant for them because mm-hmm. you know they have like more advanced infrastructure but it turns out that you know at at the core the problem of the people managing these complex systems are the same it's just they are represented slightly differently like the way they solve is slightly differently but the core issues were very very similar to each other like you can't really you can't have a different kind of global warming in Holland compared to Colombia. You still have the same issues. You just treat it differently. So this work actually led the company to appreciate that, like the the similarity and like how the how the problem definition and how a human centered solution addressing those problems can still be ever encompassing, like both in South America and Europe. So the impact in that is just like the understanding of this problem and how human-centered it is uh, at at the board level. Uh, And this was not, again, like this is not easy to measure, but from the conversations we had uh, in each of our meetings and shares and also also the client partners gave us the understanding that they really appreciated this. It almost became like a higher level conversation around like how to understand and solve these kind of global issues in such a large company. So that was the that kind of impact. So it's just like slightly different definition of impact. And then the last one was, um, this is like more cultural, especially like a creative culture related mm-hmm. difference. Um, in Chicago, part in particular, during my time in IDEO Chicago, I worked in a lot of like mobility UX work, uh, with, mostly with Ford not mostly with Ford, primarily with Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when our relationship first started, you know, I have been mostly an individual contributor, but the way we worked at uh, IDEO, we were working like in these teams that are cross-disciplinary, not, not in terms of IDEO folks, but we also had a lot of like Ford employees in our teams. We were like collaborating really closely. So one thing that was very interesting was, and you, you might have, and you might be familiar with this, like there's a strong um, culture of transportation and car design. They have a very, like a, they have their way of doing things. And it can be like a more of a, like a, almost like an apprenticeship model. And it can be like quite intense. And the way we work with it at IDEO, coming from a human-centered background, like, you know, very flat organization. So we were trying to actually, like, reconcile these two realities and uh, be productive and work in a meaningful manner. So over the years, this relationship had a great cultural impact on the organization and through many projects. And I have observed this just as an individual contributor in the beginning. And then later on, just as in the way I work with the designers from Ford and collaborated with them. And this change happened through working together and through appreciating like what kind of learnings and what kind of impact you can have by pulling the user as close as possible and managing the craft aspect of design meaningfully, because one challenge 
early on I was observing was like naturally the fidelity of transportation design studio is so high right off the bat that was actually challenging to get like a meaningful input from users. Uh, And on the other hand, uh, like the human-centered like approach is to not to necessarily focus on like initially the that crafted artifact, but to focus on the experience and interaction touch points and then the physical relationships in us in the space. So that that initially didn't resonate. So we had to like really like find this middle ground that was both like approachable to our research participants, but also meaningful to translate over time for the design studio when we kind of like passed passed on the torch. So that over time, like I think had a good impact on the the Ford's design culture, but also gave us an appreciation of like craft and fidelity and beauty. I mean, especially like not necessarily for for me, because I always appreciated that, but you know, like, like a, in a cross-disciplinary team, it, it, those expectations kind of changes. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, measurable impact, impact in like how you apply design thinking uh, for scale and complexity, and also like having a cultural impact, especially in a creative culture of a company. These were the kind of three examples of how I see the work I have been involved in impacting uh, client work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super powerful. I, I really love all of your three projects and, and stories. I think, um, you know, I think there's so much to, to, to learn from. I really love the fact that you were talking about, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of episodes now on like the, the role of design impact of design. And I think you, mm-hmm. you framed it very nicely. And it's, it depends really, do we talk about measurable impact or like non measurable impact? And very often the impact that we that we have as designers is not something you measure directly, but, you know, mm-hmm. specifically if you come in like with, you know, that these experiences you have and the perspective is that, uh, and if you have a strategic project, sometimes the impact is not directly there, but it could add up later on. It changes the process slowly. It starts to spark in idea. It's, it plants a seed. Sometimes a change in a culture, the process, maybe, um, yeah. it, it, it maybe is experienceable later on. It's like, you're not going to like root it back right to that project, but it, it just is, it's an evolution. You accelerate an evolution, uh, or yeah. steer off an evolution into a certain direction. Um, yeah. I of course really love also the product you're talking, uh, talked about in terms of automotive, I also made a lot of experiences in, in that regard about specifically nowadays with mobility, you really have to bring this together. Um, you have the sort of more traditional side and it has been always very strong in automotive, which is um, around the craft aspect and the execution and the, um, the sort of like physical design. And then the other side is sort of like that human centric or user experience and, and, and the, uh, the interface aspects. And yeah, like nowadays you basically have to start basically the, you have to start to design the, the car from the seat from the person mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. design it basically towards the outside. And I think I saw so much great work happening by bringing these 
these two worlds together. It takes some time at the beginning because there's two different approaches towards design, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if, if, you know, if both sides appreciate each other and about like what they can add to a project, it really is like where magic can happen. And mm -hmm. uh, you just create a more, more innovative approach. But th this is so true in automotive, but you can take literally like so many other industries where you can have a, the same effect by just basically bringing together people that have been maybe not traditionally working together or have a different way of solving a problem sort of in a in a, in a similar space uh mm -hmm. and you know there's really where where magic happens and it's just so interesting um i mean like the other thing the great, other great aspect that i think you're pointing out is that if you work in uh if you, like i think all of these three projects that you have been working on are all very different in sort yep. of its industry and the nature and that's a great thing about design specifically if you work in a consulting setup, um, you know, especially at IDEO, I believe is that, you know, you, you basically are, it's like every project is like reading five to 10 books or even more. <laughs> like, yeah, like you're, is, you're constantly, is. you're constantly learning something, you're diving into buckets that you know nothing about. And, um, yeah, it is, it is. I mean, it, it is, it worked for me. And I think like it, it really depends on the personality and yeah. how you want to work. I, I don't want to like, make a blanket statement that it's great because it can be stressful, but yeah. I, I like that kind of stress. Uh, you know, like it can be like a little schizophrenic sometimes. And I, you know, just work on like the, this very small thing or like, or like a, some, some systemic problem. And then you jump in a, like a completely different industry and completely different product category. But over time you actually develop like that, nature of it helps you to develop kind of like a meta level thinking of how to approach and solve problems so this way you can a little bit disattach yourself from the individual product um, so i think that that had a great impact on me uh, that i am using now in my new job and i think i'll keep applying it to my future career development as well with the with the current like the cultural example, um, I'm just gonna give it like a very superficial <laughs> kind of example, but like a more of a symbolic. Like when when we were sketching with my team members uh, from the client side, I realized that I ne I always put a human in my sketches, like a hand. I was like, and it's like. I draw ugly humans. It's not like, you know, it has nothing to do <laughs> like, you know, just to, just to basically put myself into that moment. So the yeah. act of drawing yeah. like a, yeah. a character in there, you suddenly start thinking about yourself unintentionally in that moment, experiential moment. And, and I realized that actually my counterpart never did that. And ev like eventually during the course of the project, like we started to actually add like as one or two or like, you know, a human being into these moments. And I think even that one, even though superficial, it might just be like, maybe he decided to that, that he liked putting humans in there, but I don't, I don't want to believe that uh, over the course of the project. Then we start to think about these experiential moments always with a person in it. And I think that act uh, is related to, again, like translating abstract to concrete um, because you suddenly actually translate that 
abstract presence of a human being into a concrete representation. Um, so it was like a kind of an interesting example of how that culture change might yeah. happen. It's very symbolic, symbolic, like you said, and it, it just sparks a different way of like approaching a design, right? I think it's it, it's so interesting, and um, yeah, I think the uh, also back to the three projects that you have been pointing out. I think the was also interesting is the the packaging project that you know it's it, like it's a constant iteration. You know, maybe you were even wanted to push it even further, but like we should not underestimate even with like a one step, like you know what what you, we can do. You know, and maybe there's maybe a negative con uh, connotation about the the space of packaging, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, but like that's exactly where we can make impact as designers by yeah. going into these 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 spaces that you know maybe you feel like. Um, uh, industries maybe that you know you you feel that like could be so much better you know by actually going into it and seeing like how you can solve them and dealing with the the system I think right and and then I think it was great that your learning was that you know you have to have a systematic approach and see how other applications of the the same idea to make it work because of the the, the scale aspect before we did the we're starting here the um recording as we were chatting a little bit and i think one of the things i remember is you said like you know it's uh like making innovation in, in regards to sustainability it's it's never simple right yeah and um you know we have been working a lot on sort of like solving very complex problems through design <laughs> and basically you know applying like you know critical thinking and and bringing bringing people together um, can you maybe talk a little bit more about maybe the, the learnings that you, that you made when it comes to regards of, you know, design in sort of like a, a very systematic, um, setting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for, if I go back to the sustainability, sometimes we actually work with a sustainability expert in this project because we right off the mm -hmm. bat recognize that this is very complicated. Yeah. Um, this is not always like, this is not something we just like sit down and solve. So one very interesting thing was like having that sustainability consultant in the team was that she accepted the fact that this is not something to solve, but reconcile and manage. And that mm -hmm. was very interesting to I'm me sure. because sometimes we have this, we have this like, ah, oh, let's make like, you know, there's this spectrum of like meaningful impact and greenwashing. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes we like, ah, make this material, then it will be green. But, you know, circularity is very complex that requires you to first have a very good understanding of the system you exist in or where this product will exist in. Um, in addition to your material choices, you need to like understand who's disassembling it. Who, like what are the, like, I am having hard time managing my home recycling, you know, like let alone like thinking about like a, a product that is built from thousands of parts sometimes uh, that needs to be disassembled and recycled. So it is way, it is very complex. So understanding that complexity and reconciling with it and then having a mindset of like, okay, this is not something that's going to be magically sold, but we will solve it just by doing the right changes in the system level. And then we, we will have this goal to achieve like maybe full circularity or however you want to define it in that particular aspect. And like in this project, I that was like a, you know, a wake up moment for me because 
this was a national fast food brand in the United States. And each state has a completely different recycling and, you know, the waste disposal system. So, you know, like how do you even manage that? In some markets, people wanted to have a certain material for their drinks. And um, in some markets, like, you know, how much that company is willing to push and make the change. So that is not always necessarily about the design, but also their culture or their willingness to commit to their mission. So suddenly you start to actually identify higher level uh, issues that needs to be addressed that may not be solved with that individual project. Uh, but you like, at least in my case, I try to like with my team, solve it as good as possible. Um, of course, like, like my brother is a conservation biologist. So I talk about these things with him and he's like, man, how do you do that? <laughs> I don't like, it is not like, it is not ideal. Right. Like, but mm -hmm. if no one does that, it will not improve. And we are in a place that we can actually have meaningful impact even so slowly. Um, and, and just like, Referring back to a little bit, I mean, this is a bit, I don't want to say controversial, but maybe confusing in terms of what I have been talking with you so far. The urban planning background I had made me realize over time that some problems are not solved, but managed and got better. And that comes from the scale and complexity of those problems and also related to human nature. So every now and then, you know, like I hear design in context of solving these like really dicey and complex problems, but then that mindset generally brings, generally defines a solution. And sometimes you just can't solve some things but to just improve and make it better with like a, maybe it will never be completely sold, but just by recognizing that and taking the designer, designer's ego out of that act and bringing other partners into the solution actually is way more helpful than, you know, claiming to solve it or like read, you know, um, just with an intervention. Um, and that, I think, like looking back now, again, this is hindsight, like, because, you know, this kind of slowly developed in my mind. And I was like, oh, no, this is nothing new. Uh, I, I heard about it in like when Chicago was being built or <laughs> like in my urban history class or like, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, all the, you know, uh, cultural and racial tensions that has been taking place in the world and in you know in in American cities, like these kind of things. The goal the goal is to solve them, but the approach shouldn't be just like coming up with the magical solution, but to understand that they are complex and requires a really like cross disciplinary, cross functional approach, and sometimes that nuance gets lost with our excitement of design and like, you know, the human centered solutions and like just being involved. Um, I just wanted to like share that, especially when it comes to more systemic level uh, issues that also involves uh, like a diverse set of uh, 
populations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's really it's really powerful. I think the what you were mentioning because I think you know very often I think we approach um, it's about solving a problem, you know, by by recognizing maybe it's about reducing the problem, right? Thinking about as an iteration, just as you're pointing out with the packaging project, right? It's it's an iteration forward, and like the the next project can build on top of it. It's like you know, like an urban design project, like you said, it's like a city is not built in one day, right? You yeah. have multiple urban design projects working together, evolutionizing a city forward you take you add one piece you know and 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 and, and renew things right mm -hmm. and uh, you, you think about it as a as a sort of like yeah you think about it as a circular process or like an uh, like a constant process as an evolution i think i really love that that aspect because i think as designers we are so much drawn to completely rethinking and completely well, rethinking doesn't mean it could not like that. That maybe is not the right way of framing it. But we are so much focused on completely removing, uh, solving, problem, solving the problem, right? Yeah. But sometimes it's also about like you know making reduce better, and I think that's also a step forward we should celebrate. Talking about making things better, um, I mean, also you moved now, um, you know, working at Intuitive uh, in California on healthcare mm. uh, devices, mm. right, and. I think it's 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 interesting if we're thinking about sort of it, it's a different it's a different space because you know you you work less sort of in a horizontal setup like you maybe did when it comes to consulting everything we have been talking about like maybe so far in the episode you you have to go very vertical right mm -hmm. and um, it's also very different in terms of like how, what exactly you're executing and 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 you're designing um, mm -hmm. I think before the recording we were talking a little bit about the aspect that you know nowadays often you can make things you know feel so real but i think you were pointing out it, it really depends on you know also uh, sort of like how you consume it in the end right and uh, you know very often like if you work on a ux ui project these days you know it's uh, i recently heard this quote from someone that said like it's building sandcastles on the beach right mm -hmm. um like you you design it and it's it's basically gone it's really like an iteration like you said it's like this packaging project but just in a short amount of time with mm -hmm. healthcare well you really you, you consume it not like completely digital but it, it has a physical element to it mm -hmm. and it's it's maybe more something also that you know has to last for for a longer time so can you talk a little bit about that shift towards designing in sort of like a more vertical setup for you as a designer mm -hmm. and then how that maybe changes your thinking and then also maybe about the impact that designers can can make in in, in, in the space and why it's important for designers to kind of um, um, help to innovate that space forward especially mm -hmm. in these time these days yeah um so yeah i mean i like intuitive designs uh robotic surgical systems and uh, diagnostic systems um, and these products are are never static and they are all like because of their size and like the application i don't think just as a physical or like a digital terms like i always have to keep in mind that this is a this is a product that has spatial physical like object-based and digital side of it and it literally a living product because it interact interacts with uh all the other systems in the in the or um it can actually evolve the way it behaves um and 
Um, and it needs to also, on top of it, it needs to last for a very long time, as you mentioned, like 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, just, uh, you know, developing medical products takes forever. So when you think about this aspect of it, and when you think about like, you know, making abstract to concrete, that what I try to bring most and like what I try to like champion most is to make these translations as early as possible in the process. Um, so people can quickly see the impact of certain engineering design uh, decisions right off the bat, because developing them is so complex. It takes so much time, money, effort. So I always think like, first of all, how can I bring these experiences to life in the fastest and most uh, like realistic way um, and the cheapest way? And how can I use this to basically drive decisions? So that is kind of like the key engagement that I want to have in these projects. And, you know, I'm new. I just like, I have been in the, in the company for a year and a half now. Um, so this is like how I try to see my role. Um, and it actually like has been really helpful because I'm trying to speak very in very general terms. Um, but most of the time, a piece of hardware is never a piece of hardware. It is generally has mm -hmm. some sort of implication. It does something inside the body. It, it, it is an input device that gives you some sort of information on a screen somewhere. So um, just thinking that as an individual object is making the service to the design challenge. So uh, translating this complex experience quickly and then understanding how how those interactions in between like the digital, physical, and spatial actually is the easiest way to communicate how some of your design decisions, even just on the hardware, can be explained. And in some cases, this can even drive technology development. And this is something that I was really like interested in back in consulting in the mobility world. Like, is there a user-centered experiential way of informing creating new technologies instead of like creating technologies and trying to find a place for them. Um, and, and I believe if we, for example, explore, you know, where the information should live uh, when you're using X product or Y product, then suddenly you start to think about like, okay, what kind of input technology we need to develop to actually like create that interaction. And then suddenly you start to think about like building the foundational technologies to develop these products. Um, and I try to basically bring that mindset to my work, actually utilizing very foundational craft skills, but trying to not to be attached with the craft skill, but to, but to the problem and the experiential framework. Um, and then picking cherry picking the craft skills that will help me to bring that to life. I talk all about like, like why I like to work like that from a design perspective, but like, I also see that like design is the most financially efficient way of managing risk when you're dealing with mm -hmm. such complexity, because you can actually really evaluate the, the value proposition uh, with very low investment. It's never just like, 
and someone sitting somewhere designing something and someone else just solving that from an engineering point of view and they magically come together uh, because it's it's uh, it's so much more multifaceted these days a hundred percent um i mean you, you're touching on some important things that i mean i also made a lot of experience working in um, basically a design strategy setup where you try to you know bring in basically you try to explore um requirements for future design right so and yeah. i think i really love what you 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 said about like this ping pong between abstract and concrete and making that step early right and it's you don't do it once you do it multiple times right mm -hmm. and by by doing that often in the beginning like you said like engineering and design just doesn't happen to come together automatically you know i think the best would be you know if designers also understand and sort of prototype what they would need down the road to have the best possible experience, right? And these things mm -hmm. take time. Right? These take things time in, in physical engineering setup. I mean, sometimes, you know, many, many years until you actually have yep. something in, in in place that you can build on and that you can integrate into your product. But if you never make that advocate for that, that you would need to, that, you know, maybe the company should invest scientific or research or engineering resources into in looking into that and never understand what it would be the positive impact for the user and for the brand if we would do it, then it never happens, right? And then it's, it's, it's otherwise it's going to be something that it's, it, there's an enabler there, a technical enabler, but it didn't come in, in, in initially from a perspective of the best possible human experience, right? Uh, the person using that machine or that product or maybe the patient. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's interesting. And, and it's it's not about, you know, that you know, designers come with, up with these things. It's a collaboration between oh, an, yeah. like, uh, engineering setting where like, okay, could we develop this maybe down the road, right? Would it be worth it for us? How much would it need? And like how, for how many months or years do we have to work on it to kind of make it happen? You know, mm -hmm. so I think it's a, um, it's it's uh, it's it's like everything is a collaboration, right? And um, yeah. and um, yeah, and, uh, like an, an iteration also, like you said, right? So maybe you can't do it for the MVP, but then you know what you can do like down the road. And um, yeah, and I mean also like when you frame that right, then you know what MVP is gonna be like and what the like the you know the ultimate version is gonna be like because there can also be like infinite number of things but you want to have that trajectory of how to develop that experience over time and if you don't frame it from the get-go it is really tricky to keep that like vector over time yeah um, you don't you don't know where you're running right yeah yeah pretty much um and it's great when you're running but it's not great when you're actually running a company um one of my like mentors uh He said, like, you know, if you can't answer a question, like in five minutes, go build a prototype. Because that solves so many of these questions so quickly. Like, mm -hmm. and it is also our superpower. Like, you know, and, you know, prototype, I'm also, again, like using this in the broadest sense. And a piece of animation can be a prototype. And that actually has been also like a very practical and a helpful attitude when I'm having these kind of conversations and collaborating with uh, folks, because a lot of the things we talk again, like are actually extremely abstract and as assuming that 
the person across the table uh, or like the user or like the, you know, the people we are interacting, assuming that they can just do that leap and make that abstraction in their mind into reality is expecting a lot. So it's our responsibility as designers to support that conversation. And again, like try and make that abstraction into reality to have more meaningful conversations because then you end up in this like loop because you say something, the person understands something slightly different, you know, there are constraints in our like, or, and biases we already have in our minds. But when, when you actually experience the experience, it is, uh, it answers so many questions. It's like a data input, right? It's like you just generate data and, 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 and educate the, the whole product team. And I, um, you know, I think what's, What's interesting is also that like, basically, if you set up this, I really like the fact that you said like, you know, it's our responsibility to do it. And I think that's also a great way to kind of look at it. Right. I think our responsibility for, you know, the, the product quality or responsibility for the brand or for the company and, 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 and for the, and the human being using it. Um, and you know, and if we, if, if you explore that, you know, that if you go from that abstract to concrete and kind of envision in terms of what it could be. So if you mentioned like the ultimate version of it, mm -hmm. like it doesn't have to be right. So, you know, no. completely right. It, it's in, it's a prediction. It's a speculation you could say, and then you, you develop yourself forward and then basically, you know, you launch the MVP and then you're going to learn on the first MVP like that. Maybe the vision was, was a great way to have a foundation and a discussion within like the, the whole team in terms of like where mm -hmm. we could go. And like, we have a motivation now and like, a, a basically sort of like a, a grand picture, but we also gain, gain data now from people using these products all the time, because there's a big difference between like a prototype and the actual product. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and then like on this real product, you learn so much more. That's like, I don't know how many prototypes it's worth to have a real product, but it's, it's worth more than a lot of prototypes and, and this going to create a lot more data. That's going to evolve your, your vision forward and, yeah. um, and, uh, going to generate more, more data points. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the conversation, uh, Duan. I think we, we have a really great chat here and I, I think, I think we could continue for another two hours. I feel like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think, uh, because of time, I think we have to uh, wrap it up here. So I, I would like, just like to thank you on behalf of the audience for, you know, taking your time here and, um, spending some time on the Zandra's episode. Thanks a lot, Sebastian. This was awesome. And thanks for having me. And thanks for uh, pronouncing my surname again uh, perfectly. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, hopefully we will have uh, a chat again. Uh, yeah. Even outside of the podcast, this is these kind of conversations are lovely, and it's helping to the design community. Thanks Absolutely. a lot. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about your thoughts and biggest learnings from the episode. I'm always super curious about that. You can also tag me in a post about your biggest takeaway and share your insights with others to pass on your learnings. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow, subscribe and share with friends and colleagues so they also have the chance to learn and grow. Until next time, cheers.